0: Oh my Janatramananda Sha chakshur Salakaya Shakshur Un Militanyena Tasma Sri Guruve Namaha. Bunchkapatubias chakripasindabacha Petita Nam Pabati Vyov Vaishnavijamon Maha. So we're going to try to uh wrap up this first section of Mathuriakadambati this evening. Uh, a little summary and a little bit more of a deeper understanding of exactly what distinguishes Bhakti Devi's independence and uh, Vishwanath tries to dispel any confusion when it comes to the path of Gyan, which is basically the primary path of, of impersonal spiritual realization. There's some subtle points here to be understood regarding the nature of bhakti's independence. I think we've kind of covered exactly what that independence constitutes. It's uh, causeless mercy. It's uh, the Supreme Lord's Kripa Shakti. And uh, he doesn't himself bestow that Kripa Shakti. He, he, out of deference and in glorification of his devotees, He's allo- he allows them to be the, to give the, the, the tiding of bhakti to uh, the jiva soul. He's completely independent, and bhakti's completely independent, but this is a uh, unique feature of the nature of bhakti. A couple reasons for the Supreme Lord allowing that good fortune to flow through his devotees is, of course, to, to glorify his devotees in the world. To distinguish them as uh, uh, exceptional, extraordinary, head and shoulders above all the rest, so to speak. Also, in order that he is not criticized for being partial, uh, showing favor to one and not favoring another, he remains completely independent of the of this bestowal of bhakti, up to the point that his devotee recognizes someone as a qualified recipient recipient well not really qualified because there's no material qualification one can do but there are a few things one can do to basically shut the door in the face of bhakti and that is generally we find that the devotees are a little reluctant to offer a helping hand to those that uh, tend to uh, to push it away, and they push it away by being inimical towards the Lord's devotees, or even hateful, harmful to His devotees. They basically uh, are are inimical to the Supreme Lord. Because of that enmity, the bhaktas they they're indifferent. They show indifference. These characteristics of the madhum. Adhikari, the middle class devotee, middle class in that he still uses his discrimination he's not become so totally overwhelmed in love for the supreme that there's no longer any material discrimination in him, so he still exercises discriminating power the Uttama Adhikari is so much overwhelmed in love of God that he no longer makes makes such distinctions. He sees everyone as Krishna's devotee, everyone, even the demoniac. It's, a, it's an amazing characteristic, quali- qualification that he has. So, but he may, say, may also preach, but in order to preach, you have to discriminate. So he'll come down from that platform. For the benefit of of suffering humanity, he will forsake being overwhelmed uh, by his love for some time and he will preach, he will help. And to do that he comes down, it's explained to the Madhyam platform, where he can discriminate. What is the discrimination of the Madhyam the middle class devotee? He recognizes and loves the Supreme Lord, he recognizes the Lord's devotees and he serves them actually knowing that Krishna is more pleased with his devotees served than with he served directly he goes very much out of his way to please the devotees because he knows he can get Krishna's favor that way and he shows mercy to the innocent and he avoids those that are inimical Bhakti is completely independent but there can be this little bit of confusion When it comes to the jnanis and the fact that in order for them to be successful at all in their liberation, their mukti, their merging into the supreme energy and gaining release from the sufferings of material existence, there has to be some touch of bhakti. So is that the same bhakti that's coming from the Madhyamadhakari? Or is it a different bhakti? We're going to touch on that this evening as Vishwanath does in ending up this first section of Madhurya Kadambani. Understand exactly the fine points of that particular type of bhakti that the jnani is blessed with that allows him to find success in his endeavors in attaining liberation and merging into the energy of the Supreme. There's only three verses we're going to try to cover this evening, and they're the three last verses of the first rainfall, the shower, Madhurya kadambadi the, the shower of nectar uh, that uh, Vishwanath is extracting from uh, Rupa's teachings only the ignorant say that bhakti can attain its perfection only with the help of Gyan so there is a certain class of spiritualists that say well if you have no knowledge you're not going to get anywhere towards self-realization well the bhaktas say that's the statement by the ignorant bhakti is completely independent you don't need to have a big brain you don't need to understand everything you just need to be blessed by Krishna's pure devotees. And that in and of itself is sufficient for you to take to the path and to advance to the highest platform of Uttama Bhakti. It has been established by the shastras that Bhakti is ever super-excellent to Mukti, the ultimate goal of jnana, of knowledge. In the Bhagwat, 5.6.18 says... The Lord may easily give liberation, but not bhakti. O great sage, among many millions of liberated jnans, having attained per- perfection, a fully peaceful devotee of Narayan is extremely rare. So let's look at those two verses in context. The first is from the fifth canto. In this verse, Maharaj Pariksit is feeling some, something lacking in himself because he's not in Krishna's family and Sukadeva's been praising the Yadus which are Krishna's family he took birth in the Yadus the Bhaktas know that Mother Yusoda actually gave birth to Krishna in but... the Bhagavatam in the scripture it said that he took birth from uh, Vasudeva and Devaki so he took birth in the family of the Yadus. In the discussion, Sukadeva is really praising the, all the family members of Krishna. These Yadus are so wonderful. Wow, they were born, they, they, they are in the same family of Krishna. They live in Dwarka with Krishna. It's a great family to be in because you have God, you know, in your family. How great is that? Of course, Sukadev is extremely perceptive, and he notices Parikshit is, you know, He's like, oh, man, I'm not a Yadu. You know, I'm a Kuru. What, what about me? What about me? Where's my good fortune? Sukadev picks up on that sentiment, as you can see some something coming into the, the nature of uh, a Parikshit as he's hearing from him. So, Sukadev Goswami continued. My dear king, the supreme person, Mukunda, is actually the maintainer of all the members of the Pandavas and the Yadus dynasties. He is your spiritual master, worshipable deity, friend, and the director of your activities. To say nothing of this, he sometimes serves your family as a messenger or servant. This means he worked just as ordinary servants do. So he supported himself to Yudhisthira Maharaj and to the Pandavas in their loving relationship. Those engaged in getting the Lord's favor attain liberation from the Lord very easily. But he does not very easily give the opportunity to render direct service unto him. What Vishwanath is doing here in his verse is he's establishing these people are simply fools that think that jnanis are more advanced spiritually than bhaktis. Here, in the Bhagavatam, it's perfectly apparent, evidently clear, that those engaged in getting the Lord's favor attain liberation from the Lord very easily. They're easily liberated. But it is not very easily Give the opportunity to render service, to be his devotee. Liberation, that's a piece of cake. He gives that easily, but not so much his service. Second verse that Vishwanath quotes. And it's really interesting the context of the first verses. You'd think to be in the family of the Adus would be greater than simply being a friend. Of the family, and having Krishna as a friend of your family, that the pond, was the position of the Pandavas. But Sukadeva Goswami is saying, "Oh, really? Just look! Krishna is so much in love with your you guys that he becomes your servant. He's just a member of the, the Yadu family. To you, he he goes out of his way." to show his love for you. Second verse is a very famous verse. Muktanam apasiddhanam, Narayana parayana, Sadurlaba laba prasatatma, koti shwapi mahamuni. O great sage, among many millions who are liberated, and perfect in knowledge of liberation, one may be a devotee of Lord Narayan, or Krishna. Such devotees who are fully peaceful are extremely rare. There can be millions of people who have attained liberation, who have merged into the supreme energy, who have relieved themselves of the miseries of material existence. Millions of them! But hardly, hardly will you find a devotee anywhere. So his point is very simply and profoundly made with support from the Bhagavatam. Only the ignorant say that Bhakti can attain its perfection only with the help of Gyan. He's defeated that concept. Smashed it. Don't be deceived. And in the Purport, that is brought out to some extent. As to the fact that sometimes... The Kinnista Adhikari can be easily swayed by somebody. His faith is tender, it's weak, and he can be swayed into thinking that, well, actually, I've got a Gyan, knowledge, and Vairagya, detachment, are pivotal to my advancing in spiritual life. Because the scriptures praise them again and again. Let's hear again from the Bhakti-rasamrita-sindhu. Jnana and Vairagya, knowledge and detachment, may be accepted as a door to the devotional path. They may be. But let's make sure we understand what kind of Jnana and what kind of Vairagya, what kind of knowledge and what kind of detachment is helpful because there is a chance that Gyan and Vairagya if not fully understood and entered into enthusiastically as a necessity for making progress in Bhakti there's a chance that they'll cover the heart. The heart will become hard. These are the conditions where Gyan and Vairagya are helpful to us. If the Gyan does not mean knowledge of the oneness of the soul with Brahman, in the Pranams to my spiritual master is an emphasis upon this. His whole preaching campaign was meant to do away with this tendency to want to merge into the Supreme. Or to become a Buddhist someone that, that just has a concept that nothing is where it's at that's their concept if you, ha- if you can get away from everything and get to nothing that's nirvana you'll be a happy camper then nothing's going to bother you if there's nothing there Right? So let's get there to nothingness and sunyavad. Nirvasesya sunyavadi pasyapjade sitarane. Srila Prabhupada, His Divine Grace AC Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada, in coming from the Western world, very much stressed and pounded on the heads of these two great misconceptions that can stifle one's true devotional and spiritual life. If Gyan leads to a conception of Nirvashesh Brahman, that the ultimate spiritual energy is without qualities, that is going to make your heart hard, and you're going to have a hard time progressing in bhakti. Your sadhana will be very difficult. And the renunciation is not dry or unfavorable to bhakti. The renunciation, the vairagya, if we're going to take, we're going to renounce. We have to give up material nature. We're conditioned to try to enjoy our senses forever. We can't even trace out a nadi. Our karma, our karma driving in the car to enjoy the pleasures of material life, whatever car it may be, this body or that body, it's been going on. We can't trace out when it started. All we know is be here now. We're here now. We don't know how we got here. We know what gave us this body in this society, in this time. What were the circumstances that put us in this situation. We can kind of judge. It Was it's not a very good circumstance. If we we're to accept the Bhagavatam as authoritative scripture, as a as an evidence, Praman, of having some significance in what it's saying, then this is the worst age of mankind. We're born in a society where slaughterhouses our common fare the people we live with are killers of themselves i mean we just look back a few years a few hundred years a couple thousand years and all we see is war after war after war they're either slaughtering themselves and they're constantly slaughtering animals for their palate what kind of birth is this It's not a good situation. We're not born. We weren't born on a heavenly planet. And most of us here didn't come with even a silver spoon in our mouth. But there's some good fortune here. When we look at human society, we look at what is the general circumstance. And the general circumstance is not good. When we look to renunciation as a possible assistant to our devotional practice, we must take on that renunciation which fuels our bhakti. Important to always remember what, is, what are the main practices of bhakti yoga. Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu. Becoming absorbed in Krishna. Becoming subordinate. letting, us be, letting him, Seeing that he's providing for us. That he's protecting us. All these things, both in Saranagati, the surrender, and in the basic ninefold practices of bhakti, as expounded by Prahlad Maharaj. So, if there is to be renunciation, let it be that renunciation that fuels those practices. If we need to meditate, let us meditate on the holy name. If we need to renounce, let us follow those glorious fast days, the codicy and and the appearance of Krishna and Lord Chaitanya, the spiritual master. This is proper renunciation. Not some false renunciation that simply is fuel to an ego that wants to be distinguished from the other egos. So we have to be careful of those particular renunciations that set us apart as something oh look he does this. He's this. make sure that there is renunciation there has to be renunciation. We have to purify ourselves of, uh, of all the bad habits and misconceptions. We do those by following the order of the spiritual master and by hearing from him. What does that hearing do? That hearing dissipates all the misconceptions regarding what is spiritual and what is material. Yukta vairagya. Rupa Goswami says in Bhakti Rasam, maybe, maybe we'll say they're a door. But make sure if you if you use them as a doorway into devotional practice, you're very careful. You're very careful to use them properly and recognize their place in the overall practice of devotional service. If they do not oppose it, Rupa goes on to say, if this knowledge and detachment does not oppose bhakti and are favorable for its performance, only then they may have some utility. They have no utility, however, after one has entered the devotional path. Once we come to the platform of the advanced platforms of, of Nista, we're getting the Anarthas are falling away. Once you're there, then they 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 really have no value to you. The path has become broad, wide, saturated with spiritual impetus, not an impetus for knowledge and detachment that is to be used to help us get through the difficult stage of giving up bad habits. So we have to do things to situate ourselves properly. Truthfulness, cleanliness, austerity, and mercy. These are, these are the characteristics of a human being. We want to practice and have that knowledge and the detachment that leads to at least a human interaction so that we can serve the spiritual master and the devotees nicely, in a dignified way. little of detachment, little knowledge is required for that. Thus, they cannot be considered as a part of devotion. So, I mean, Rupa is pretty, pretty firm here. In the view of the sadhus, jnana and vairagya make heart hard. Tender bhakti is thus the cause of bhakti. Again, back to the point. Bhakti is causing bhakti. These things may help a little bit, but really, bhakti is coming from bhakti. Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Archanam, Vandanam, Dasyam, Sakyam, Atma, Nivedanam. Ninefold practices. We're going to move ahead. We're going to discuss here for a few moments what is the distinction between that bhakti that's coming from Krishna's pure devotees that leads to praying bhakti as exhibited by the highest order of devotees that are in the Vraj lila or in Shaitanya-lila. They're just two sides of the same coin. What leads to that bhakti? we're pretty we're pretty close on that. we know what that is. That is hearing from the lips of Krishna's pure devotee someone that's already there and somebody that's a little bit ripe, like a mango. even the new devotee is a mango. he's been blessed by Krishna's pure devotee. He's been accepted into the fold. He's been given nama and and later a mantra. So even though he's still not very ripe, a little green, maybe carrying a little or a lot of baggage, still he's a devotee. And as he begins to ripen, then what is coming from him has become sweeter and sweeter. The point when we come in contact with those advanced devotees, there's nothing but sweetness. They simply open their mouths, and it's a flood. <laughs> Of sweetness. We may not even know what the words are, but it's like, wow, that's nice. <laughs> that's really nice. I don't know what he's saying, but boy, it's really nice. <laughs> so, that's bhakti. So, bhakti's coming from there. What about that bhakti that is this Jan? Is that the same bhakti? Because the scriptures say it's bhakti. Vishwanath, in this next to the last verse of the first section of Madhurya Kadamani he qualifies that particular bhakti so that we can understand what is it what is its distinguishing characteristic what's bhakti have to do with it is it that same bhakti that we strive for that praying bhakti which leads us to serving the regatmikas in some way das, 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 das das. As removed as we may be, our service through our spiritual master, through the sadhas, through the association of devotees, is intended to serve Krishna's most intimate associates in some way, shape, or form. Somehow. So what about this little bit of bhakti to make jnan successful? We went over before what is that jnan that cannot become successful because of not taking on any bhakti, taking on a bhakti which has a misconception regarding the supreme, or the proper way of taking on bhakti, or that unique situation where someone who is jivanmukta, he's liberated in material life, hears from Krishna's devotee and Basically says the hell with this Gyan. Who would want to merge? The real nectar is in service. In love. Vishwanath gives this verse. During Vamana Avatar... The Lord himself accepted the form of Upendra... The younger brother of Indra. And protected Indra by all means. The wise have realized... It is the Lord's supreme mercy rather than his inferiority. He didn't become the younger brother of Indra because he's inferior to Indra. That would be a foolish notion. So, some people who have intelligence know that is just not it. There has to be another motive for Krishna to subordinate himself to Indra, the king of heaven. And do his bidding, because that's basically what he did. Indra had had lost his his kingdom. The the heavenly planets had fallen to the sway of uh, Bali Maharaj, king of the demons, had taken over, and Indra Indra needed help. He wanted it back. I want my position back. I want my throne. I want my throne. And he goes and he. He appeals to the Supreme, and the Supreme comes as his younger uh, brother, his younger brother, and he says, okay, I can help you with that. Does that mean God became less than Indra? No. No. It's an extreme extension of his mercy. The wise have realized it as the Lord's supreme mercy rather than his inferiority. Because he does have no inferiority. Let's just get that out of the way. Similarly, Shastras established Gyan as a supreme path. Those Shastras, those religious writings of the sages that say that Gyan is the ultimate liberation. Mukti is the ultimate. We boohoo it a little bit. Actually, we have no interest in it. If we can get to the plane of of steadiness, nista, where our humility takes over our, our complete existence, then we can throw away material life and in throwing away material life, the bhakti is so immersed in tasting spiritual love in a reciprocal relationship with the Supreme, it's just budding just in that budding stage, he throws liberation away. Najanam Najanam Nasundarim. Similarly Shastras esta- establishing sh- jnana as the Supreme Path describe Bhakti as a part of Gyan. So there's Shastras that say, well Bhakti's just it's a limb of Gyan. We just do it because it's good to think of, of a personal conception of, of the Supreme. It'll help us become liberated. The wise, however, know that Bhakti Devi, who is most independent, nourishes Gyan by mercifully accepting the Satvagun mode of goodness, and becoming a part of Gyan. Just as Krishna subordinates himself to Indra. Bhakti, we know Krishna is not subordinate to Indra, but still it appears he subordinated himself in order to help Indra out. Similarly, when we have those, shi- those scriptures that say that bhakti is a part of jnana and, and, and a limb of jnana, that, that jnana is the true method for attaining self realization, and your self realization is to merge into the Brahman, that is the ultimate goal. So bhakti, it's like an anga, it's like a part of jnana. Understand this analogy and dismiss this misconception. What comes out here is that particular bhakti that looks like an aspect of jñāna. What's the jñāni have to do in order to attain his goal? He has to perform good works in the mode of goodness to the point of what? No more material desire, right? He has to be free. His heart has to be completely cleansed of material aspiration entirely. If there is a speck left, he'll fall down. But Bhakti is so merciful, it's like if I don't help them, they'll never get there. There has to be a little bit. So let me pretend like I am in Sattva Gun, purified goodness. Let this be my disguise so that I can help these guys. They're trying so hard to become liberated in the Lord's energy. Let me assist them in some way. So that bhakti, that assists them through the appearance of being a manifestation of sattva gun, the mode of goodness, that bhakti, that's a merciful dispensation of bhakti. is bringing that out. Similarly, the internal energy of the Lord, bhakti-devi, also has a merciful nature. Only with the help of bhakti can one attain the realization of non-personal or, pers- or the personal form of the Lord. If you want to become with one with the energy of the Lord, His glowing effulgence, sayuja, brahman realization, merging into Brahman, or you want to become one with the personality and his perfection as Paramatma, fully controlling everything. The yogi, he wants all yoga cities. He wants wants the Lord's energy. Both these things require a blessing from bhakti. The conclusion of this first rain shower of mercy from Vishuddha ends with this verse. Summation of what's been presented. If we look back at all the classes we've had here. and what, where, do we, where do we start? We started with the fact that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the one that's... He is Krishna himself, come as a devotee, giving a special... One in a, once in a day of Brahma type of chanting which nourishes pure bhakti. Vishwanath's wrapping it up. We started there with the special, the special nature of the nourishment of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu of the ninefold processes of bhakti yoga. First verse. Second verse, what? A praise of Rupa Goswami. What has he given? He is taking these teachings from Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and he's giving them to, to us in a way that can really nourish our devotional life. And then, systematically, Vishwanath went through understanding that bhakti is what? It's first fully independent, like Krishna. It's bestowed by Krishna's devotees. And that we should not be confused that bhakti is in any way subordinate to anything material or any spiritual conceptions that don't see her as completely independent. So his final verse in this first shower. Bhakti is the cause of bhakti. This Shastric evidence explains that the fruit of sadhana bhakti is praying bhakti. Bhakti Devi herself is the crest jewel of all human goals. Thus, the all-pervading, all-enchanting, all-nourishing, super-excellent, most independent and self-manifesting nature of Bhakti Devi, the exalted and powerful energy of the Lord arising from his own Swarup, has been slightly described. Got a little hint what is this bhakti Vishwanath is saying I can't even begin but there's a little hint here for you if one practices any path other than bhakti then he is definitely blind Mm -hmm. That's Vishwanath's conclusion haven't I told you have I convinced you yet well let me make it perfectly clear If you're going to do anything else and think that it's of any value, you're a blind man. Definitely. Not kind of blind. No. You can't see anything. He cannot even be considered a human being. Okay. Blind, deaf, and dumb? Because Shastra says... Who else except the non human would refuse devotion to the Lord? There's one verse from the Bhagavatam that kind of brings out the fact that you're not even a human being if you don't worship the Supreme. It refutes these characteristics that we attribute to human life, to being alive. Do the trees not live? This is a verse. Do the bellows of the blacksmith not breathe? Do the animals all around us not eat and discharge semen? So we're thinking these are human things. That we're alive. That we can breathe. That we can eat, sleep, mate, defend. No, the animals do all these things. Those who never listen to the names of the Lord, the elder brother of Gada, are like animals and are praised by men who are like hogs, dogs, camels, and asses. (laughs) So it's a very interesting... The Bhagavatam right there. Okay, you think this is human life? Yeah. You and the other people who are like hogs, dogs, camels, and asses attribute these characteristics as being the symptoms of a human being. Saintly people, the sadhus, especially the devotees, they just wake up. Get a life. You're just an animal. If you're not worshipping Krishna, if you're not taking advantage of this sweet nectar, of Madhurya Kadambani, you're just fool number one. So that is the conclusion of the, uh, the first shower of nectar.